From Square Two, this is What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO at Square Two, and along with my longtime friend, Eric Kalis, and co-founder at Square Two and six-time entrepreneur, Eric and I will answer the question CEOs have every single day, what's wrong with revenue? You can be part of the Livecast show where we'll answer your questions every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern, or catch the show on demand on YouTube and on all your favorite podcast networks. Also check out all our audio and video content on Square2 Plus at the square2marketing.com website. Enjoy the show. Hey everybody, welcome to episode 48 of What's Wrong With Revenue. I'm Mike Lieberman, CEO of Square2 Marketing, and I'm joined by my longtime friend and business partner, Eric Kalis. Eric, say hi. Hello. <laughs> Today, we're going to be talking about partner marketing, which I know after sales process is one of Eric's favorite things to talk about. So we're going to get into it today. Before we get started, I want to remind everybody, you can follow us and watch every single show we create here at What's Wrong With Revenue on our Square Two Marketing YouTube channel. You can like us, you can friend us, you can subscribe to it, you can comment, and we appreciate all your activities shared as well with people who you think might benefit from learning about what might be wrong with revenue at their company. You can go to the page on the Square2 Marketing website dedicated to what's wrong with revenue. It's a link at the bottom of our page in the footer, and you can subscribe to the show itself. You can ask questions like the questions we're going to handle today. You can get it on your calendar so you can join us live. And every Thursday morning, we will email you a link to the show right to your inbox so you never miss an episode of What's Wrong with Revenue. And if you're into audio and video content and you're looking for a huge resource of content, audio and video content that can help you grow your company, Take a look at the Netflix-style streaming service that we have, free of charge, no obligation, at square2marketing.com backslash square2plus. You can also subscribe to that service, and we will let you know every time we post new content there, which we do more or less a few times a week. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. We're going to talk about how to leverage partners as part of your growth strategy. It's actually one of the best ways to generate leads quickly when you're working with partners. However, this tactic brings its own share of challenges. First, you need to find some non-competitive companies that either have your perfect customer as clients or who, or who are also marketing to that same audience as your company. Next, you need to make sure they can support any joint marketing campaigns and effectively execute those joint marketing campaigns as well as you do. And when you do find those partners, you really want to make sure that you have a regular set of joint marketing activities. And if you do that, it can be very effective. Well, today during the show, we're going to talk about how to select potential partners to do joint marketing with, what type of joint marketing tactics should be considered and why, what to expect when you work with these partners on marketing initiatives, and how to equip your partners and with the proper marketing materials to ensure your program is successful. And we'll even share some examples of some successful partner marketing programs that we've seen executed or we've helped clients execute. So like I said, Eric, partner marketing is right up your alley. How do you want to kick us off today? Well, I think the biggest concept here is one-to-one -one versus one-to-many. Um, lots of folks are out there doing marketing, working hard, <laughs> trying to uh, connect with the absolute perfect prospect that they want to attract, but that typically comes in a one-to-one -one format. I'm doing some pay-per-click, I'm doing some webinars and so forth. 
when you uh, create a partnership, now it's that same effort goes one to many. For example, let's say that Square Two, a marketing consulting firm, wants to partner with a large accounting firm. They have the same kind of entrepreneurial clients. So we say, hey, let's make a partnership and we will be able to market our services to all of your 500 uh, accounting clients. In that one activity where you made that one connection with whoever the leader is at that accounting firm, you now have access to 500 people. So it makes for an efficient introduction and can uh, basically cut the time that it takes to gather people in your database, nurture those people and turn them into sales opportunities. Yeah, and the timing I think is really the one of the biggest takeaways uh, in terms of what you're going to do with partners, you know, when you're waiting to get found on search, you're waiting for people to visit your website and convert on content. Um, if you're running demand gen campaigns and you're putting ads out there and you're publishing content and hoping people find them and read it, and then, you know, maybe subscribe to an email address and, and email, an email newsletter or subscribe to your blog or, maybe watch shows like this, you know, some degree of, of kind of like uh, putting yourself out there and then waiting for some kind of response. When you find the right partner and they share the same kinds of clients you do when they're going after the same type of prospects you do, you're almost unlocking an instant audience of prospects and you're getting a very direct connection to them through your work with your partner. So it can cut the uh, uh, the curve around lead generation, even revenue generation and, and, and deal creation if you do it correctly. So, you know, I'm not saying this is easy because honestly, nothing we do is easy, but it does provide some opportunity to uh, fast track some of your potential marketing activities if you can find the right part. So why don't we talk about that a little bit? It's at the top of my list here. Like, how do you select the right potential partner to do joint marketing with? Like you mentioned the accounting company, which kind of makes sense for us, but what, what would someone be looking for when they're searching for a good partner to do some of this kind of stuff together? Well, I mean, I think I can think of three things off the top of my head. The first one is a, a scale conversation, right? You don't want to create a partner that has five <laughs> customers or five, uh, you know, uh, names on a list. You want someone with a little bit of volume. So I would think a couple of hundred, if not thousands of people in an organization would be better to partnering with just a few uh, people in their organization. The second thing is a matching or an alignment of the persona, the persona being the description of the people that you want to target. So back to the accounting firm, if that accounting firm example has uh, mid-market clients and they're dealing with the C-suite, then that would be a good fit for who Square Two wants, right? So that just is an alignment of the same kind of persona. And then I think the third one is they have the internal capacity to do the marketing, right? You want to make sure that they're capable of uh, pushing out your message. Uh, you know, we're making the assumption that you're capable of pushing out their message, but you got to go the other way. If they're like, yeah, we don't do much marketing and we don't have a marketing person or a firm and we kind of piece it together, you might not have to get the results you're looking for because there isn't someone driving the interaction that you seek, which is putting out emails and posting on social and connecting with people for webinars and all the things that would be leading indicators of driving revenue for your firm. So those three are the first three that I could think of, Mike. Yeah, I think if they're watching the show, we can assume that they know what they're doing from a marketing perspective, at least the people we're talking to, right? Yes. 
Right. Yeah, so our, our folks are in the optimization stage, not yes. the uh, creation stage. Right. But you do make a couple of good points. Um, and I think the point about being able to execute is huge because we have some firsthand experience where we've tried to do a couple of things with some people and they didn't really have the horses or the expertise or maybe even the desire to really market to their own audiences. And we're, we were kind of left holding the bag, doing a lot of the heavy lifting. And it really should be 50-50. You should be marketing to your people and they should be marketing to their people. And between the two of you, you're, you're really doubling your audience. And Eric's also right about looking for people with a significant audience. Um, there's no point in doing this if they have a small reach or small audience. You want someone that can get in front of a lot of people um, as part of this activity. And then you know, the I would put the the other piece of it into two uh, areas of consideration. Yes, non-competitive is the first one. Like in our example, the accounting companies obviously not providing marketing services to their clients, and we are certainly not providing accounting services to our clients. So it's clearly non-competitive, and you can find people like that as potential partners. The other would be complementary sets of services. For instance, we do a lot of joint marketing with HubSpot. HubSpot provides software. They don't provide the services we provide. And we don't provide software. We provide HubSpot to our clients. So, you know, that would be technically more like complementary set of services as opposed to non-competitive because, you know, even HubSpot is trying to help people generate leads and we're trying to generate leads for our clients too, but we do it in a different way. And it's, we're not really ever kind of stepping on each other's toes. So, that I think, especially with so many software companies in so many different industries, no matter what business you're in, you might be able to find someone in that space where you can do some kind of joint marketing with where they're providing software and you're providing services or the other way around. If you're a software company, you might be able to find some services firms that would be a good partnership to do joint marketing together as well. Okay, how about tactics, Eric? What what might some of the joint marketing tactics be that we would want to think about if we're going to try to find some people to go to, to market together? Well, I think that the tactics have to be ordered in the same way that a buyer's journey has to be ordered, right? So let's say we make a joint partnership with this accounting firm. The first thing we might do is say, hey, accounting firm, we'd love you to push out this great piece of content nine and a half mistakes that most uh, middle market companies make when trying to drive leads, right? So their first taste of it is uh, some light content in the beginning stages. One, we're trying to create awareness, right? So like, oh, look, this is from a marketing company there. This is promoted by my accounting firm. I feel safe about that. Let me read this little piece of content. And then as that piece of content is absorbed, then maybe you want to be a little bit more aggressive and use some tactics like the joint webinar, which is a middle of the journey offer, right? Not quite ready to buy or talk about doing business, but intimate enough that you have to give all your contact information and spend an hour on some webinar, right? So that would be good. Maybe the accounting firm uh, bring some of their clients and you do a live brainstorming session with one of the marketing consultants and right in front of their eyes, they transform their message or they convert their uh, campaign strategy. So now you have, um, you know, participation from both parties and it doesn't feel like a sales pitch. And then at the end of the journey, you might want to offer something like exclusive to ABC accounting clients a free consultation with Square Two Marketing, right? So now it is the end of the journey. The free consultation is a nice, pleasant uh, end of journey offer, but you know it's the beginning of the sales process. And it's obviously a lot more intimate than downloading a white paper or attending a webinar. So when you're um, 
uh, choosing the tactics from which to join in uh, with this strategic partner, you want to use the same philosophy or methodology that we use when we're attracting anybody else, right? Let's introduce ourselves. Let's show them that we have some chops compared to other options they might have and then engage in a conversation with them. Yeah, those are three really good examples of different kinds of tactics that you can execute. I've also seen a couple um, people take the early buyer journey uh, content offer you suggested and expand that a little bit where they got three or four non-competing businesses to all come to the table with some content. And they offered all everybody on all those companies, email lists, all the content. So you know, instead of getting access to one other company's list of potential companies, they got access to three or four different companies' lists of people and kind of put together this package of information, uh, early buyer stage journey information that they all, uh, anyone would be interested in. So it was a very collaborative kind of coordinated um, content package that they offered. I thought that was pretty creative as a way to drive um, net new email addresses and build out um, your prospect database relatively quickly. Um, again, like we said, like, yeah, maybe it takes a little bit of time to coordinate that. But once everybody starts emailing everybody that they have all this, this information available, you're going to get some new, new names pretty quickly. Eric, I don't know if you remember or not, but do you remember the campaign we ran to the printers that where we partnered, we provided some content to the printing association and they emailed all of their um, members. We got a, a relatively large uh, windfall of uh, potential prospects for that one particular client. You want to talk about that yeah, a little bit? We were talking about digital transformation, I believe, right? Like add yeah. on to your printing. Yeah. Well, once again, we understood the persona, right? These are people that are engaged in printing and we postulated what their pains might be and then created some content around what would help them with those pains and problems. So that's very thoughtful, very strategic. And yes, you went after a market that was underserved for that specific organization when it came to our services. So it was a good fit. Yeah. And I believe they generated something like a couple hundred prospects in a relatively short amount of time just by kind of working very closely with that association. Now that's a little different kind of partner than we've been talking about, but I think that falls into this category. Like what's the technical term for that affiliate or affinity when you're working with an organization, it's a little different than what we've been talking about, but I would throw that in this, this, this conversation as well. Um, if you have can get access or you can partner with a membership organization or even a, a an organization that runs events, um, there are lots of ways to get access to the same type of people that you're trying to uh, attract to your business through you know, inbound and demand gen tactics. And by simply providing them with the content and let them share it with their members, their audience, their uh, associate uh, participants or event participants, you're going to get access to a whole new group of people too. And the benefit, sometimes you have to pay for that, but sometimes those people are just looking for good content and they're looking for good uh, information to share with their members to just to add the value of the membership that their, their um, people are paying for. So it's a slightly different take on the same kind of, kind of partner marketing program we've been talking about and one that can produce, again, a pretty good lift in a short amount of time, which is something we're, we're pretty- Yeah, just to uh, drive home the point, 
a lot of those organizations, member organizations, industry organizations don't have a full marketing department and they are dying for good content they could push out to their members. So that might be an opportunity for our viewers and listeners today, like find an organization that's dying for content, give them one of your videos, give them one of your white papers, have a joint webinar where you're talking about an issue that might be prevalent amongst their members. It really does drive a lot of value. As a member of EO, the Entrepreneurs Organization, I'm constantly getting invited to learn how to sell your business, right? Learn how to plan for retirement, succession planning, right? All these topics that these companies are assuming entrepreneurs like us would be interested in and are providing the content or the event that might help us figure that out. But, you know, it's not um, it's not not self-serving, right? They obviously want clients from that and they're willing to put their content into play to help uh, engage with those people in those organizations. Yeah, really good point. Um, let's just talk about expectations because you know we're talking a lot about how successful this can potentially be and deliver prospects in a relatively short amount of time. You know, I, I am very hesitant to tell anybody that anything is going to work amazingly the first time, because generally that's not how marketing works. But, you know, if you're going to do a joint webinar with a non-competitive company and, you know, both of you have a nice house list that you're going to be marketing this to, what do you think I would expect um, from a results perspective if I was going to do something like that? Past performance is no indicator <laughs> of future results, right? Right. So the answer to most questions like that is give it a try. Tracking and testing or testing and tracking, I believe, would be chronologically correct. Right. So if you have many irons in the fire, let's say that your initiative is that in 2023, we're going to create six partnerships and go to market with those. The six partnerships are not really partnerships. They're all tests because you'll find that some of them are not going to be able to provide the uh, uh, horsepower to keep up with you. Some of them, you make assumptions about their attendee um, uh, constituents that might not be accurate, constituents, clients, prospects, whatever you want to call it. Uh, also, uh, you might uh, miss the mark when it comes to your offer, right? You think that they have this pain, so you create a piece of content to engage with them this way, and it's just not exactly accurate. So it's all about the learnings that you get the first go around. And I'll give you a very transparent example. At Square Two, we deal with mostly entrepreneurs, right? People that are running their company say that uh, they're very good at doing what they do, but they're not so good at sales and marketing. They're doing $10 million of revenue. They'd really like to get to 20 million in revenue. And that's the kind of client we like to work with. We partnered with the WPO, the Women's Presidents Organization. They had asked me to speak uh, two years ago or, or pre-COVID, I guess. And they were such a high energy group of female entrepreneurs. I'm like, oh, this would be a great partnership. But yet when we engaged with them and created the partnership, the actual members of WPO had businesses that were slightly smaller than we typically deal with. And we didn't go further enough in our data analysis to understand exactly what the typical revenue range is. We made our uh, uh, you know, efforts back by uh, landing a few deals, but it wasn't a home run. It was more of a single or a double uh, because some of our expectations were, or sorry, some of our anticipated results were a little bit off because the assumptions we made weren't perfectly accurate. So that's sometimes where you have to uh, understand. Now, 
I am going to engage with WPO again for a second year of partnership, but the parameters will change just a little bit. They have something called these uh, premier groups, which are specifically for the larger companies that want to engage with WPO. I might narrow or limit the scope of our partnership to just those groups. But that only came from a learning. We got plenty of action, but maybe not a lot of revenue. But the learnings will enable us to increase our results or effectiveness in the second go around. Yeah, we uh, to expound on your story a little bit, we had some workshops, some partner webinars earlier in the year with Shopify and Ribbon, two other software companies that we do a little bit of work with more with Shopify than Ribbon. But um, and those had a similar set outcome. We got some leads from it, but a lot of the audience we realized were a little bit smaller businesses, especially Shopify, which is an e-commerce platform for a lot of small businesses, like even single, you know, solo what do they call it? Solo, Solopreneurs. Solopreneurs who are selling something, you know, out of their house. They have a Shopify account also. So, um, you know, again, it worked out fine, but maybe we should have done a little bit more due diligence with the partners potentially to understand who their database was filled up with and made sure that we are picking the right partners. But again, like in this case, the energy extended to do these workshops is not extensive and there, and you don't need a ton of return to make it worthwhile. Um, it also might be a situation where uh, you rationalize it by activity breeds activity, meaning right. that a person solopreneur working out of their house with a $200,000 business, their brother-in-law owns right. a $20 million business. Right. Ah, this square two put on a great webinar. Right. You should check them out. So uh, you know, don't feel that there isn't some kind of like results that are adjacent to the efforts you make on these partnerships that might, uh, you know, uh, uh, come to fruition. Yeah, it's a very also, good point. Um, one of the uh, partnerships, uh, uh, I'll keep it because they're a client and I, I don't want to say, but one of the partnerships we did, they were like, man, you guys are really killing it. Can you help us with our organization? So it resulted in an engagement with the actual partner. Um, and that's always like cherry on top. Yeah, 100%. Also, in terms of expectations, I think it's important that you outline before you really get into these programs in any degree of detail, who's going to do what? Because it can be tricky. You know, if they have some marketing people and you have some marketing people, you want to make sure that the division of labor is clear. If they don't have any marketing people and you're going to do all the heavy lifting, make sure that that's, you know, uh, stated up front. They may want to do more of the marketing than, than you are capable of doing or even want to do. And again, if, if that's okay with you, discuss those up front, um, agree on who's going to do what and how you're going to execute this program. That will just make it, the, it easier when you get into it. And you won't be surprised when they're like, well, we don't have anybody to write an email. Like, well, what are you talking about? We agreed that we were going to both do emails, right? So there are some expectations that you want to talk about up front in terms of who's going to do what with this program as well. Um, and a nice segue into my next point here before we get into questions is, in, in some cases, you may find the perfect partner with the perfect list, the perfect set of prospects, the exact people you want to talk to, and they might be 100% open to doing this kind of marketing with you, but they don't have the resources to carry out their, their end of the push, Right. I wouldn't necessarily not proceed, right? I just want you to understand that there are still some good opportunities 
to, to do uh, programs like this, even if the potential partners might be light on the marketing side. And typically what you might be looking at at that point is how to equip them with the marketing materials they need to ensure that your program gets pushed out to their audience, right? So you might need to write them the emails. You might need to design the emails. You might need to design their landing page. You might need to you know, handle the graphics associated with the webinar if you're gonna do, or handle the graphics associated with the ad that you're gonna publish. Or you know, that's not necessarily bad. If you think this is a good partnership, if you think you can make this work, um, we've done that a number of times, and I don't think that's necessarily something that would cause you to shy away from working with a potential partner. Um, and to Eric's point, they may decide that you're so good at this that they want to hire you to help them with their whatever they're doing, right? So uh, there are some opportunities to uh, work in a slightly different way than maybe you're thinking like this is going to be a 50-50 split on how we get this out to the public. You might have to do more of it. Um, I don't necessarily find that bad just because you're creating the story, you're creating the message, you're creating the look and feel of the event. You're also going to control all of the registrations. You're going to control all of the new lists that you may be sharing with them. So there are some conversations that also have to have happen. Who's getting the list? Who's sharing the list? Who's, you know, who owns the names? If you both own them, just make sure you're following proper can spam GDPR and Castle regulations about uh, uh, informing those people who are signing up that both parties could potentially be marketing them. Something to think about as you're putting that all together. But I, I don't mind it when when partners say to me, yeah, can you help us out with some of this? Because that just means we're in a little more control over what story we're telling and how we're going to market together with this partner. You got anything else for that? No, it makes a lot of sense. Awesome. All right, let's hit the question list. We have a lot of questions. This is Eric's favorite part of the show. So Welcome here we go. Um, from John in New Jersey, could this be, um, let me read his question right. Could this be with more than, okay, he wants to know if this could be with more than one partner, maybe three or four partners coming together. We talked about that a little bit, but <laughs> how do you feel about that, Eric? Absolutely. The more the merrier, right? Um, activity breeds activity, as we said earlier. So if you have three partners coming together, that's 3x the amount of activity that could happen. Three lists to attack, three groups of people to introduce, four, five, and six, even better. I mean, isn't a trade show just that? All these people coming together and sharing the attendees' attention? So I think it's great. The challenge is, is that if you're doing one partnership, that's one set of work. If you're coordinating with four or five different partners to do an event or some kind of uh, uh, joint promotion, that's just five or six X the amount of work. So just be careful that you don't bite off more than you can chew. But in this case, more is better. Yeah, I agree. I mean, again, it's going to depend on how much complexity you want to tackle. You know, if you're going to do a webinar with three or four other participants, you know, now you have three or four other people that you got to keep happy, right? If you're going to do a panel, you know, everyone has to have equal time speaking, right? You know, everyone has to have equal approval into the stuff that you're putting together. You know, uh, the more people, the more opinions sometimes can make it a little more complicated, but you're getting compensated for that complexity because you're getting access to their lists and, you know, you can potentially drive more results when you have uh, access to more people. So, um, again, maybe you want to, if you've never done this before, maybe start with one partner. If it goes well, maybe you want to try something with three or four partners. Um, but it, it certainly is a very doable 
equation if you're going to have more than one partner participate in this with you. All right, I got a question from Kathy in San Antonio, and we talked about this a little bit, but maybe we could go a bit deeper for her. What should we be measuring if we're going to do partner marketing? So like, I guess the leads from the event is one easy measure to uh, uh, put on our scorecard, but what other things might we be looking to measure from uh, uh, activities like this? Well, I would go one step before leads, just say contacts, right? If we have the ability to load in a list of 2000 members of a trade organization, that's 2000 more people in our database that we now have permission to talk to or drip on. So I would start there, right? Like how many were, how many do we get? So if you're like, oh, hey, accounting firm, I'd love to partner with you. How many clients do you have? Well, we have 14 clients. Well, I don't really think that it's worth the time. I'd rather find a regional accounting firm with 500 clients, right? So uh, the list size would be the first metric that I would start with. Yeah, and then you could really follow this all the way through your revenue cycle, which is our vocabulary. But if you want to call it your funnel, we could we could follow this all the way through your funnel. So if you're looking at net new contacts, if you're looking at prospects, which you know people who potentially you know engage with your content as part of this event or activity. <laughs> um, how many of those actually follow up after the program is over and want to talk to you about doing business with you? We would call those you know, sales qualified leads. What percentage of those people are actually good opportunities for you? And this gets back to our Shopify example. Like, you know, a lot of the people who wanted to talk to us maybe were too small for what we were looking for, right? So you, you might as well keep measuring the quality of the lead you generated as a result of this joint partner program. So um, how many of the sales qualified leads became sales opportunities? How many of the sales opportunities were actually uh, getting proposals from your sales team? So, you know, that's obviously a good opportunity. And then how many of those closed? How many of those did you win? What kind of revenue was generated as a result of these programs? Now, again, if you have a longer sales cycle, like a lot of our clients do, you might not know some of the answers to some of these late stage metrics that we're talking about for months after your event. Um, you may also consider continuing to track the performance of these programs. So <laughs> the buyer journey day is so extended and so complex. I might attend an event, a joint event between two companies, and I may get on their list, but I may not end up engaging in any kind of sales conversation for months um, because I'm just not ready, not that far along in my, in my buyer journey. So if I emerge three months later as a sales qualified lead, talk to the sales rep and I'm a sales opportunity and they're giving me a proposal and I'm considering it and I close, like you got to make sure that that revenue is attributed to your event, even though it seemed like there was a huge gap between when you had the event and when the prospect actually got engaged with you and became more than just a name on a list. So you know, make sure that you're continually continually looking at the performance of these programs over time and make sure your window of analysis is appropriate for your own sales cycle. Make sense? Good advice. No, absolutely. Okay. Great advice. Okay, cool. All right. Um, this is from Wally in Florida. I'm assuming these partners should be non-competitive. Yeah. But what if they do similar things, but in different regions? Kind of a good bent on things. How do you feel about that? Well, I got two things to say about that. The first one is, is that if it's too close for comfort, I mean, there's so many different opportunities out there that most companies can partner. Why cause any kind of crossover, right? The last thing you want is, oh my God, 
we shared lists and you pitch one of my clients on, on similar services, right? The other thing is that COVID has made it so that the borders are really broken down, meaning that most companies are now expanding their geographic area from local to national or even continental. If that's the case, I would stay away from some of those people that are focusing regionally because invariably there's going to be a company on that list that is in your hometown and now there's an <coughs> argument about who is entitled to what lead. Why even go down that road? Fine, uh, complimentary, but not uh, you know adjacent companies, I would say. It's just is easy enough to just put together a list of people that would be better suited. Yeah, I agree. I mean, you don't want to be in a situation where you're have an opportunity to go after some business and it's not quite in your region and maybe it's close to their region and you're now wondering whether this is okay or not. Um, I just don't think you need to have that extra complicating factor. I mean, new business is hard enough. Revenue generation is hard enough. I agree with Eric completely. You probably can find somebody in your geography who is not from a different region, but is either more non-competitive or complementary, like we were talking before. I would not, I would probably not pursue the similar company in a different region just to keep things simple for you and what you're trying to accomplish. Yeah, so. your Shopify example was a good one, right? We do e-commerce, we use Shopify, but the Shopify client is not exactly the square two client. And there would never be an argument about that. We would always be in a position to work together. We'll do the website, you'll do the e-commerce part. Yeah, 100%. Okay, uh, this is from Larry in Minnesota. Do partner companies ever get paid or should we compensate them for running joint marketing programs? So what do you think about that? I'm all for it. If you get what you want and it's a high return on investment, that's okay. Um, you know, <clears throat> I have no problem uh, saying, hey, I'll sponsor this if I get this in return. I mean, that, <clears throat> that works. What you want to do though is kind of project out the ROI. Okay, I'm going to sponsor or partner with this organization. I'm going to speak at their conference. I'm going to get access to the list. So let's say I get 10 sales qualified opportunities from it and I close two. My average engagement size is 50,000. My net profit would be 5,000 on each one of those deals and the sponsorship is 10,000. So if I got two clients, I would break even. If I got the third, I would have a win and then I get all those people in my list that maybe I'll turn into another two or three down the road. Okay, that makes sense. But you gotta think through that. There's too often that we're like, sounds good and you jump right in and then you end up looking backwards and your return on marketing investment is not appropriate. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I feel like Larry, you're talking more about a sponsorship program than a joint marketing, a joint marketing program here. I think generally these kinds of programs, there should be no exchange of money. I think it's more about an exchange of equity and, and content and thought leadership. You know, I'm going to share my advice and my intellectual property with your customers and prospects. You're going to share your advice, your intellectual property with my customers and prospects. Like it's an equal swap of, of knowledge and advice and guidance. You're going to look smart. I'm going to look smart to, to different sets of people. You're going to get some prospects out of it. I'm going to get some prospects hopefully out of it. You're going to get some business. I'm going to get some business. Like that to me is the appropriate exchange. I don't think I'd really be up for paying them to do something like that. But I mean, Eric's example is still valid. Like if you're going to, if you, some places that have really good lists and really good uh, access, you, you might have to pay to play. 
And that might be another kind of program that you want to execute in addition to your more traditional kind of joint partner marketing. So um, looking for sponsorships is, again, a good a good way to get access to new people that fit your buyer persona. Um, it's just a slightly different kind of program than maybe exactly what we were thinking we'd be talking about today. So I wouldn't take it off the table, but I think if you're thinking more traditional partner programs, I think most of the time they can be done without you having to pay for anything. Yeah, I think the key word is, is it collaborative or is it one-sided, right? Because it's collaborative, we're both participating. If it's I'm paying you, that's a different relationship. Right. I do think if if you agreed that you had to do all the heavy lifting and they were not going to be able to do any, any of the marketing for whatever reason, you know, that might be an opportunity for them to kick in some money to you because you're, you know, you're, you're doing more of the work and they're not. So, you know, it's kind of not fair if you're doing all the work, they're doing no work and you're sharing all the leads, right? So maybe in that case, they could, you know, help compensate you for some of the time, energy, you know, resources that you're putting towards this joint event when they're really not, they're just bringing their list uh, and, and participation to the table. You're, you're doing a lot of the heavy lifting. That might be an opportunity for them to pay you. It's a profit deal. <laughs> oh, you know, that's a good, you know, such a good question. I mean, comment. You know, I was thinking about this when I was getting ready for the show. Do you remember um, when I worked at Synergy and we had that giant event? Um, Annual the, event. Right. And so Synergy used to do a conference and they they put on the conference. They were the lead sponsor, but they they had partners pay to exhibit at the show. So, and people paid to come to the show. And I was always really quite fascinated at the model where they got, they, they ran the event, but people paid them to participate in a variety of different levels. And it really became a, a profit deal for them, right? They made money from their own marketing. So it wasn't like an event that they were pouring money in to generate prospects that, the, the partners paid to participate in it to get access to the people who are coming to the, to the event and the uh, attendees paid to get access to the partners and the content that was going on at the, at the event. So, you know, while we're talking about this, it's a really interesting kind of spin on this. Uh, and a lot of people do this now. They, they spin up their own events and they get people to come and sponsor them and they get people to come and pay to attend them. And it's kind of partner marketing, if you think about it, but it's a very good deal for the company that's kind of the lead sponsor. I always felt like they get the best deal out of it, as opposed to the other people who are sponsoring it or the attendees who are coming. I think generally the lead sponsor, whoever's kind of behind the idea of the event makes out the best. But again, something to think about. All right, I got a question here from... This is from uh, Donna in Tallahassee. How would we approach potential partners about working with us on a joint marketing program? So you know what she's asking? Like, yeah. how do we go and talk to someone that we want to work with to get them interested in this? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of a sales function if you think about it from that perspective, right? Who's the decision maker here? Who's going to be in charge of partnerships? Find that person and then pitch them. Hey, I have an idea how our two organizations can work together. I would not send a cold email that starts with dear friend, I would actually make an outreach, maybe connect with them on LinkedIn. Hey, uh, you know, I, I have an idea for a partnership. Would you like to get together for a virtual cup of coffee and talk about how it might benefit both our companies or organizations together? So I think that one, 
you have to have a really tight plan, right? You can't just go in thinking, well, maybe we'll do this and maybe we'll do that. Here's the exact plan. We're going to do a joint webinar. You're going to bring your 2,500 people. I'm going to bring my 2,500 people. We're going to promote it via email, three emails leading up to it, and one reminder email 15 minutes before. My team is going to write the emails. You're going to provide the list. Uh, you're going to be the main speaker, and we're going to be the MC. We're going to talk about this topic, and the offers to follow up would include A, B, and C. How do you think? How do you feel about that? Doesn't mean that you can't fine tune it, but if you come to the meeting with a very tight plan, it's really going to be hard for them to say no. Yeah. Do you think that's a marketing to marketing person connect or a CEO to CEO connect, owner to owner? How would you navigate that? TBD, right? Like you don't know. Every situation is different. If it's a large organization, you might not have access to the executive director. If it's a small organization, you can call up the business owner and say, hey, I want to make a deal. But I would think that a little bit of research on LinkedIn would probably find the person best suited for you to make an initial outreach. They might say, oh, it's not me. It's Larry who handles that. Let me introduce you to Larry. But uh, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, I think it's like whoever's going to do the best job pitching this idea and presenting it and getting them excited about it. You know, if the marketing people are really jazzed about this and they think they can get the partners marketing people equally jazzed about it, I think that's probably a good idea. Um you know, lots of these CEOs know each other too, or kind of are connected in some way that, you know, if there's a, a relationship there that you can leverage, that's also going to help. Um, but yeah, or maybe even both, right? Like have uh, both sets of people talk to each other and see if you can get some uh, interest and agreement on how you want to, how you want to do this. All right, Eric, I have a lot of more technical questions here that people are interested in. So this is from Brian in Boston. He would like to know, um, what do you think the proper amount of time is to market a program like this? A week, two weeks, a month, more? Like how much lead time would these two companies need to really drive some good uh, results from a program like this? Well, I think 90 days would probably be the outside, the maximum amount of time that I would invest in this because people are relatively short time frame-ish these days. So if I said save the date 90 days, okay, that might be effective, but I'm not like putting a webinar or some kind of meeting on my calendar, 90 days of writing, save the date. I would think somewhere between 30 and 60 days would be a really good time horizon or beginning uh, point to start introducing the strategic partnership, whatever that uh, tactic might be. And then you want to do a series of like three emails, 30 days out, and then a reminder email or a last minute, grab some uh, registration people who didn't like take advantage of it. But I don't think any longer than 60, maybe 90 days if we do the save to the date thing. Uh, people just don't operate that way each day. It's much more shorter time horizon. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, if typically when we do events, whether they're partner or not, like you're really talking about a month, maybe a little bit longer to start marketing that. Uh, you know, if you're going to do content like shared content, you can really like run that for 90 days and just promote the heck out of that because there's no date really associated with that. And if it's doing well, keep it going. And if it's not, you know, shut it down and, and move on to something else. So um, it's a really open-ended question, unfortunately, Brian, and it's hard to kind of answer that without knowing the specifics of your particular program and your particular persona. Like, you know, if there's travel involved, like you might need to give them more advanced notice, right? If it's all like virtual, then maybe you can give them less notice. If it's a 15 or 20 minute workshop, they need less uh, notice and if it's 90 minutes that they got to carve out 60 minutes of content and th 30 minutes of Q&A so 
yeah, um, really depends on what you're trying to uh, accomplish here and, and who your personas are and what your program looks like, but still a good question. Thank you. All right. Um, this one is from Jill in uh, Grand Rapids. How do you ensure the follow-up isn't overdone when you have more than one company doing follow-up. So you know what she's asking about, right? Yeah. We're nurturing, they're nurturing, and like uh, all this time, the poor prospect is getting like a little bit beat up here. How do, you, how do you handle that? I think it's part of the project plan, right? The follow-up would include the following. Uh, anybody that reached out is going to get this series of two emails uh, uh, in the week after from both companies, that's four in the first week. That might be plenty, right? Yeah. <laughs> after that, it's just an individual outreach to people that have raised their hand. Yeah. I would strongly, and this doesn't happen frequently. So this is a really good question. Thank you. Um, I would, lots of times what does happen is when the event is over, the list is split up, right? I get the full list, the partner company gets the full list, and it's like, okay, good, good luck, right? We're, we're done, the program's over, you're on your own. And that's exactly what you're asking about. That's probably not the best way to do it. What I would probably do is work on those nurtures together so that they are getting a joint nurture from both of you for a period of time. And you still could promote individual items in that nurture, you know, schedule a call with me, or if you want to talk about this, if you want to talk about that, schedule a call, you know, like, or even treat the two lists a little differently, but keep the nurture coming from both of you. Um, that'll keep your, your uh, uh, frequency and your uh, amount of emails to a manageable point. And you'll also get some good tracking data on which uh, audience is a little more engaged with what content, which might be good for future program uh, planning also. So that's probably how I would manage that. And again, I don't generally like to do more than three follow-up emails over the course of maybe a week or two. Uh, again, if your sales cycles are longer, you can stretch that out because it might make sense to do it a little bit lo longer if your sales cycles are longer. But again, you already have these lists. They're already going to be in your general email anyway. They're going to be getting communication from you regardless of this post-event follow-up. So uh you know, you, I, I would, I would lean towards less is more uh, generally from a nurture perspective. I would think so. I like the fact that both uh, organizations are participating in one nurture. That's smart. Yeah. Sounds good. Okay. Um, let's see. Uh, we kind of talked about that a little bit, so I'm going to skip that. Um, okay. This is from Mark in Puerto Rico. How about the con tracks uh oh, i'm sorry how about the contacts generated from these programs are they shared does one of the partners own the list do they need to be agreed does this need to be agreed on up front does one partner handle registration what kind of advice do you have for mark well if it's collaborative the word i used earlier then you should share right you're going into it in a true partnership and you're sharing the names you understand that there's no yeah mike yeah i'm here uh, there's no competitive overtone, right? Because we're 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 uh, complementary. I would share. I would share happily share. Yeah, I agree. I, I we talked about this a little bit in the beginning. You gotta just work these details out up front. But I don't think you want to have multiple registrations. I don't think you want to force someone into a weird uh, sign up experience. Whatever whatever it is you're marketing together. So I would agree that you know one one per one partner is going to handle registration for this event that you're doing or whatever content you're sharing. 
And when the when the event is over or the 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 campaign is completed, you have this list of people, and you're going to share it with whoever the partners are. Um, obviously, if they're treating the list appropriately, they'll you know segment it and and, and keep it properly in their CRM so that you know everyone understands wh where these names came from and they're treated properly. So I wouldn't worry about your some of your customers or prospects being on in someone else's database that's going on anyway you just don't know it so um, i think if this is all agreed to up front you can have one partner handle registration and you can both share the list and you might want to actually discuss what you do with the list afterwards and how long it's going to stick around for you might agree to you know delete the list in two years because you know maybe it's too old at that point to be uh helpful for either of you um especially if no one has has uh, taken any action on your outreach in, in those lists, pretty good indication they're not interested if that amount of time has gone by. So there are probably quite a few things you would want to discuss upfront and get some agreement on just to make sure that everybody's on the same page. Sage advice. Okay, awesome. All right, I got one more question here, and then we'll wrap up for the day. This is from... Tootie in New York City. Hmm, Tootie, that's that's a good one, right? Cool, cool name. How frequently should we run partner-oriented marketing programs? What, what do you think? As much as you can, as much as you have the <laughs> bandwidth, right? Back to the one-to-many, you're reaching many, many more people in this effort than you would as a one-to-one -one campaign. So lean into it. Now, what's interesting is a lot of companies don't consider this as a viable channel, or I should say a lot of companies don't prioritize this as a viable channel, even though we've laid out a very simple plan for you here today on what's wrong with revenue, right? Find some complimentary people, reach out, have a nice tight plan, do it. Don't spend any money on advertising. But yet it seems like a lot of people want to go the harder one-to-one -one route or the more expensive one-to-one -one route. So, I mean, if you had 10 partnerships working at any one time for your, you know, middle market company, that would be an amazing win. Yeah. I mean, I, I think the answer is, buried in your overall marketing strategy, right? Like, are you really going to run a partner event every week all year long? No, you're not. Are you going to run one every month all year long? Maybe, but Maybe. I think it depends on what else you're doing, right? Like, so, you know, I wouldn't go crazy with it. Like I, I would, I wouldn't have it be your only tactic, right? I would definitely have other things that I was doing. And those other things are going to take your time and bandwidth and, and your budget. Uh, so you're not going to be able to do only partner marketing all the time. But if you do find a partner and, you, and, it, and you're generating good qualified prospects and good sales opportunities and even customers, you know, I would lean into the relationship pretty aggressively. Like if you did a webinar, try a content swap. If you had a content swap and it worked, uh, do a webinar. If you guys are going to be at a similar conference, you know, a lot of companies share booth space, right? The, the con we're going to talk about conferences next, uh, next episode, but um, you know, these conferences are expensive, right? So if you can yeah. get a partner company for, and you guys can go in on the booth together, like that's a nice package to bring to a, to an event. So I think you got to look, look, this is Eric's advice, his favorite advice. You got to look at this strategically and you got to look at your entire program and make sure that the partner the joint marketing piece of it is appropriately layered in with everything else you're doing. And then I think you'll be fine. I think that will almost answer your question for you because you're not going to be able to do something like that every single week. You're going to have other things that you want to do. They're going to have other things that they want to do. Uh, and that's probably going to answer your question for you. 
I think so. I mean, it's a shame that we all have limited resources because you're right. Having a whole strategic partnership division of your marketing uh, department would be amazing, but nobody has that. Yeah, that would be right. I mean, some companies do have partner teams, but honestly, they're not really designed to do the marketing piece of it. They're more designed to just do the the lead swap, you know, the lead gen piece of it. So uh, the referral piece of it. So it's all good. All right. Awesome. So let me wrap up. Uh, Eric, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Next week on What's Wrong With Revenue, episode 49, we're going to talk about uh, your strategy for events and conferences isn't right. Now, look, uh, uh, as far as I can see, COVID's over. Events are back. People are going to conferences. Eric and I are going to inbound right after Labor Day. Boston, they're going to have 10,000 people at a conference. What has it been, three years since the last in, in-person one? Uh yeah, because 2020, 2021, 22. So yeah, right. Right. Yeah. So uh, we got to talk about this, right? Like, I know we do a lot of digital, but these events and conferences can be very effective if they're done properly. So that's the topic of the show next week. And trust me, we've seen lots of companies fumbling their leads at these shows and not showing up with the right story or the right offers or the right way to attract people to their events, not doing enough speaking, all stuff we'll talk about next week. So don't miss that show next Wednesday. Uh, thanks for joining us. Remember, you can check out the show on the Square Two Marketing YouTube channel. Please like us, subscribe to the show, leave us comments. We're always looking for feedback related to the show and the show topics. Um, for all you podcast fans, Eric, we didn't mention this, but what's wrong with revenue? 1,000 downloads on all of our podcast platforms. So Big milestone. You know, we were talking about this a couple of shows ago. Like, what is this doing for us? Is this really working? Like, I really had no idea until we took a look at it, but I mean, that's just downloads. That's not people who watch the show, listen to the show or, or or whatever, just people who downloaded it for later listening. So, Well, do you remember our agreement that we were going to keep going until we got the results? So at episode 48, which seems like 48 weeks, almost a year, yeah, you're, you're starting to get some real traction. So it's a good um, modeling for our listeners and viewers that, you know, marketing is a marathon, not a sprint. Yeah, you got to stick with it for sure. So... Um, yeah, so uh, uh, all your favorite podcast platforms, Apple, iTunes, Stitcher, you know, go go check out uh, What's Wrong With Revenue on those platforms if you like audio and podcast content, which so many people do, at least a thousand people do. That's interesting. <laughs> and uh, again, if you want to uh, subscribe to the show directly, go to our website, go down to the bottom. There's a link for What's Wrong With Revenue. You can subscribe to the show. You'll get notified about the show, upcoming topics. We'll send you the show when the show's over. And you can also submit questions like Larry, Wally, uh, Nancy, Tootie. and Brian, and Tootie. That's right. Um, last but not least, if you're into kind of audio and video content, uh, go check out Square2 Plus on the Square2 Marketing Channel, uh, backslash Square2 PLUS. We have content for CEOs, CROs, marketing people, technology people, HubSpot content, um, tons of stuff for you to uh, listen to and watch if you want to figure out what's wrong with revenue. Thanks everybody for joining us, Eric. Thanks a lot. Have a good rest of your day and uh, I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye-bye.